0: You know where we're going. You had a two-week vacation. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, Please feel free to use that. Here's my question. How are you filling in the dash? How are you filling in the dash? Right now at this moment, we are flanked by cemeteries, and everybody in those cemeteries have filled in their dash, the dash on their tombstone that's between the day and the year they were born and the day and the year they died. Since you were here this morning, and it isn't for your funeral, praise the Lord, you are still working on your dash. What are you doing with your dash? How are you filling it in? On what are you building your life? How do you intend to make a name for yourself or make your mark in this world? See, these are important questions for all of us to answer every day because the choices we make in life, the big ones and the small ones, all revolve around this. What are we doing with the Dash? How we view other people? How we treat other people? How we spend our time? how we spend our money, all of those choices are all playing into our filling in our dash. And that's why the verse that we're going to look at this morning is so vitally important because you and I only get one dash. That's all we get. And it's really important that we get the dash right. And I believe if we will hear the message of this verse this morning and let the truth of it penetrate our hearts, that we will do just that, that we'll get the dash right. So if you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read together, but just two verses. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 20, this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise, he is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask again that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word as you promise. Father, we pray that your spirit would be the teacher here this morning. We pray that your truth would ring out from your word. and We pray, O Spirit of God, that you would take that truth, drive it deep into our hearts, that you would take that truth and transform our lives with it. The way we live our lives, the choices we make, the way we fill in our dashes. So we commit ourselves now to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You Be seated. Verse 21 says, He is the one you praise. He is your God. I like the way the ESV translate it better, it says, He is your God. He is your praise. He is your God. So as these people of God, the Israelites, stand on the plains of Moab, they're ready to enter into the promised land, and they hear again from an aged Moses these final God-breathed words, these final pieces of God-inspired wisdom. Before they enter into the promised land, when they settle in that land, when they begin living their life in that land, when they go about filling in their dashes, this must be true of them. God must be their praise. Literally the word translated praise here means song of praise or hymn of praise. So in every aspect, in every aspect of their lives, God is the one who should set them to singing. All of us know the power of music. We live with it all the time. We fill our lives with it. You know, I go to MUSC and I swim in the pool. And for me, that's a time of quiet reflection and sometimes prayer, but not so much for everybody else. They've got those iPods that you can get wet. You know what I mean? We're never away from music. It's always part of our lives. We love the lyrics. We love the tunes. Songs make us laugh make us cry and make us contemplate clap our hands uh, tap our feet we praise everything in songs from true love to a hound dog and a rusty pickup truck you know it's true and there's a little self-glory along the way i did it my way you know all that but that's not the best or the highest purpose of music and so as always the word of god is here to reorient God's people and to point us in the right direction. And that direction is upward. It is the thought of God, who He is, and the amazing things that He has done for us that is to inspire His people to write songs and then to sing those songs. Just as they sang 40 years ago, they are to sing now on this day. I want to turn to one of those songs. Turn to your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 50. Exodus chapter 15, page 50. This is a great song. After God had miraculously freed his people from the bondage of Israel, after he parted the Red Sea for them so they could walk through on dry ground, when they were safely on the other side, what did they do? They burst into song. And here's the song they sang. Exodus 15, verse 1. Moses and all the people sang. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 6, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. Verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. And then in verse 20, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, she took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he hurled into the sea. Listen, that is a song worth singing. And that's why they sang it. And look at the direction of that song. It's upward to God. It's one of those God you are songs. God you are highly exalted. God you are majestic in your unfailing love, in your holiness and awesome and glory. It's one of those God you do songs. God you deliver. God you save. God you redeem. God you guide. God you reign. Sing. Sing to the Lord. You can never go wrong if you're singing about who the Lord is and what He has done, He is your praise. Why? Look at the second part of verse 21. Because He is your God. That's why we praise, because God is our God. Now listen, there are at least four, many more than this, but at least four amazing truths that should transform your life and my life. From the fact that God is God. And the first is this. Because he is God, he is glorious. And he always will be. That's who God is. He is glorious. So I don't have to seek glory for myself. Which means I don't have to seek the approval of others in my life. Nor do I have to fear their rejection. I don't have to fill my life. By seeking glory for myself, I can fill it with God's glory. Doesn't that sound freeing to you? God alone is glorious. I don't have to be. I'm not called to be. I'm not equipped to be. And neither are you. Secondly, because God is God, He is great. And because He is great, He is in control. He is powerful. He is sovereign. So that means my dash doesn't have to be full of manipulation. My dash doesn't have to be full of orchestration. You know how we live our lives. Manipulating people, manipulating circumstances, orchestrating all these events in our life as if we didn't have a God who was great. That also means my dash doesn't have to be full of worry. Wringing my hands. And fretting. I shouldn't pick on my dear sweet mother who is here today for the first time in, in many years. Here's what my mother does when she worries. <laughs> when you know my mother worry when she does this, because she begins to worry. No. God is great. God is great. We don't have to worry. He is in control. And so my dash, my life, looks more like stepping up in faithfulness. It looks more like taking risks looks more like moving out in faith and trusting God with the results. How freeing is that? We don't have to avoid responsibility. No, God is great. He's in control. The third implication is that because God is God, he is good. Jesus says so. God alone is good. So I don't have to look around elsewhere for good things in life that God can give me. God says in Jeremiah 2 of his people, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. That's God, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. See, God is the living water. God is good. We seek this, we seek that, we look for goodness here and there, but it's like a cracked cistern. It doesn't even hold water. God is good. He gives us all the good things that we need. And so our dashes don't have to look like wearing ourselves out, looking here, looking there, to this thing, to that person, for something good, for something that really deeply satisfies. No, one-stop goodness, one-stop satisfaction. It's found in God alone, and so he's saying, God, you're good. The fourth implication, because God is, God, he is gracious. And since you and I can't do anything to earn grace, it wouldn't be grace if we could earn it. Then you and I, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves. God accepts us through faith in Christ. And so once again, our dashes don't have to look like wearing ourselves out, trying to win favor trying to win approval, trying to find acceptance with God. We already have it in Christ. Who's freed by that? Well, I am. Anybody else? Yeah. God is gracious. Sing. The Lord is your praise. He's God, and so he's glorious, great, good, and gracious. Now, let me ask you this question. On which day, on which day in the lives of the people of Israel would these truths about God not be true? Which day? No day. In which day of your life and my life, would these truths about God cease to be true? On no day. In every day, God is their praise. In every day, God is your praise and, and my praise. And please note that these verse that this verse is written in the present tense. This is who God is right now and every day. He is your praise. And perhaps that's why Scripture tells us over and over again to sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 96.1 Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 98.1 Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. Psalm 144, I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp. I will play to you who gives victory. Psalm 33, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts, Presbyterians, with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Sing. We have so many ways to sing again, to sing anew, and to sing afresh about the eternal, unchangeable truth of God because it's true every single day. And so we add to the past goodness and greatness and graciousness and goodness of God. We add to that his goodness and his greatness and his graciousness that we see worked out among us today. It isn't only true that God was their glory 40 years ago. Yeah, well, 40 years ago. Yeah, back then God was our glory back then. Yeah, you know, 40 years ago we crossed the Red Sea. No, God is their glory right now. And here's a little aside. I want to get up on my soapbox. Is that okay? Come on. The longer I live and the more I study, I have come to hypothesize that there is no such thing as the good old days. There's no such thing as the good old days. But it seems to me that evangelical Christians, myself, chief among them, were always looking back. We're always bemoaning what is lost, what is behind us, what happened back then. And we make a, a martyr of the past because the past is dead. It isn't coming back, and the past can't stand right here and contradict what we're thinking about it, or what it was like. And like most dead things, we only remember the good and we forget the bad. But listen, they may have been different old days, but they weren't necessarily good old days just because they were in the past. Now, I spent a lot of time on my vacation. I probably should admit this. But studying the history of this building, when it was built, what was here before. That's what I enjoy. Don't judge me. And I couldn't find a lot of good in those old days. Francis Asbury was the first uh, ordained Methodist bishop here in America. Lived in Baltimore, but in 1793, he came here to Charleston, and he visited here for weeks. And this is what he observed, that Charleston was a growing, busy, dreadfully dissipated place. The seat of Satan, dissipation and folly. The inhabitants of Charleston are vain and wicked to a proverb. I feel the want of religion here. Indeed, the gross immoralities of the place are apparent to every passenger in the streets. Ah, the good old days here in the holy city. One Sabbath evening, while the congregation were quietly engaged in worship... A crowd assailed the church, beating upon the doors and breaking open the windows. Ah, the good old days in Christian America. In 1795, Reverend Henry Hill thought that he would experiment with street preaching. And so he went down here to the corner of Meeting and Broad. You know where City Hall is right now? Well, that's where he went. And he began preaching, and he, he gathered a great crowd of people who had come to hear him preach until they sent a posse from the city guard to stop him. No more preaching. 1795. Oh, the good old days. Life in the Bible Belt. Fast forward, 1834. That's when this building was built, 1834. Uh, Behind it stood Trinity Methodist Church. So 165 people from right back there, directly behind us on Hazel Street, from Trinity Methodist, 165 people did not like it that the freed African Americans were allowed to sit down here where you're sitting. No, no, their place was in the balcony. That's where they belong. They shouldn't be down here. And so when they were allowed to sit here, 165 people marched out of the front door of that church and came over here and built this church because they didn't like what was going on. And so then when Trinity would come out of the front door, they would be looking at the back of this church. Oh, the good old days. Aren't the good old, aren't they great old days? Look how we live, look how we treated one another. You know, the good old days, they they, they don't exist. Was there ever a day when sinful, self-centered, self-serving, glory-seeking people did not exist? They've always existed. And yet we love to look at the past and denigrate and wring our hands over the present and the state of things. America's going to hell in the handbasket. Is God still God? Is he? Is he still great and glorious and gracious and good? Yeah. So he is our praise right now. So let's you and I, let's live like we believe that. Let's fill in the dash like we believe that God is still God. And if we live that way, we'll impact our present. And perhaps if God is willing, we'll have an impact for his glory in the next generation. He's our praise right now. We don't need to keep looking back. Neither do we need to look forward. Maybe someday, maybe someday in the future, God will be our glory. No. Maybe someday, when God's people have made something of themselves, then they'll deserve his praise. After they've taken possession of the land. After they've moved in. After they've worked hard. After they've prospered after they have continued to grow as a nation, then then they would be people that God could boast about. Then, at that point, God could be their praise. And it's true that in the future, under the leadership of King David and King Solomon, uh, that Israel would be the richest, most glorious nation on the earth. Other kings and other queens like Sheba would come and bow before King David and bring them gifts and, and stand in fear of the power and the greatness of the nation of Israel. That's going to happen in the future. But now, even in this moment, as the people stand on the plains of Moab, where they're landless and kingless nomads, not even yet a blip on anyone's radar screen, God is their praise right now. Because the highs and the lows of life do not determine whether God is our hymn of praise. It is God and his character that never changes. He's faithful in every circumstance. That's what determines our song. When we are his... His glory always adorns His people. Isaiah 61 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord has risen on you. You Reflect the glory of the Lord. Once again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same glory. You and I, Reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, in the morning, we go to the mirror. Mirror, mirror, on the wall. And we hope to see something in the reflection that makes us happy. And I'm discovering that's harder to do every day. See something that makes me happy. You know, all these wrinkles. (laughs) But that's only because I'm looking in the wrong way. As I stare at that reflection, what I see that I should appreciate or approve of or applaud should be the glory of the Lord. So that in reality, listen, for those of you who are getting older along with me, the older we get in the Lord, the more eager we should be to look at our reflection. We should hang mirrors all over our house and everywhere so we can look at them, not to see ourselves, but to see more and more how our lives The longer we walk with the Lord, reflect His goodness and His glory, He is our praise. And that's the truth that the Apostle Paul has hold of when he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The Lord is our praise. Why does Paul repeat it? Probably to make sure that the people in Philippi and the church there know that he means what he says. Yes, you heard me right. God is our praise, always, not just some time. He is always our praise. You know, Paul wrote the book of Philippians, you know this, from prison. He was chained up, literally chained up for preaching the gospel. And yet the book of Philippians, the letter that he wrote to that church, is the most joyful of any of the letters that he wrote. He says in chapter 2, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, and so you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's suffering didn't begin in prison. It had a rough life as a believer. Five times. Five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. Can you imagine that? A whip. Five times, and he was beaten with 39. 39 blows. That was Paul. Rejoice, always. Once he was stoned so severely that the people who were stoning him thought he was dead, and so they just walked away. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was constantly on the move. He says he was in danger from rivers, uh, bandits, his own countrymen, Gentiles in danger in the country, in danger at the sea. He labored, he toiled without sleep. He was often cold and went without food and water. Rejoice always? Yeah, in fact, he says, in all our troubles, in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. In all our troubles, these are troubles, people. These are troubles. Our joy knows no bounds. Circumstances, even what we would call the most extreme circumstances, did not have the ability to drain the joy out of Paul's life. Why? Because Paul was so tough. Because Paul was so hardcore. Yeah, Paul, you go. Hang in there, dude. Don't let him break your spirit. No, Paul endured with all joy (coughs) because the Lord is his praise. (coughs) I shouldn't use those voices anymore. (coughs) The Lord can always be the praise of his people who grasp the reality of Jesus. (coughs) Fred, there is water right there. I'm afraid I'm going to need it. Y'all tell me, no more singing, no more voices from the pulpit. (coughs) Thank you so much. Now we can go on. As I was saying, the Lord is always the praise of his people when we grasp the reality of Jesus. When you know that nothing can separate you, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He'll be your praise and you can rejoice always. When you realize that for your sake and the sake of your eternal being, Christ left heaven, took the form of a servant, became obedient, even obedient to death on the cross for you, You can rejoice in the Lord always. You'll know that Jesus is your praise. When you grasp the truth that Jesus' resurrection from the grave and his ascension into heaven is just proof positive. That God accepted his sacrifice that he made on your behalf and my behalf. The Lord will be your praise. Always. When you know. That God, who began a good work in you, will see it through to completion. He'll be your praise and you can rejoice. When you know that it's God who works in you, God who works in you, both to will and to act according to his good purpose, his good purpose, he'll be your praise and you'll rejoice always. When you know that Christ has a new and a better life for you, and a new and a better place, the Lord will be your praise. And you can rejoice always. And so, the question you have to ask yourself this morning is what is your praise? Really, really, truly. What is your praise? How are you filling in your dash? And if God is your praise, and He needs to be your praise and mine, then what is not your praise? Because sometimes it's easier for us to get to the positive by thinking about the negative. If God is your praise, you can't be your praise in any way. And I can't be my praise. And how we love praise, don't we? Honestly, don't we love attention? Don't we love the pats on the back for who we are? Hey, hey, I'm somebody. For what we can do, look. Look at what I can do. For what we have, look. Look at what I have. For who we know, look whose pictures right beside mine on my Facebook page. We love the praise. We love the attention. For our children, oh, look at my children. Look what they can do. Anything in your life, anything in your life that you use to reflect the attention or the glory back to yourself, even if it's a good thing. Oh, I teach the Bible so beautifully. If it's to reflect the glory back to you so that you get the praise and notice and admiration of others, that thing is your praise. Praise. It's easy for us to coat everything in our lives with a mirror finish so that people, their eyes are looking at those things, whether it's our house or our car or our job or what we do, whatever it is, they're looking at those things, but we put this mirror coating on it so that the reflection comes back on us. Well, how did you do that? How did you get that? How did you accomplish that? And then we become our own praise. That's how we go about filling in our dashes by bringing glory to ourselves. But we are not to be our praise. God is to be our praise. And we are the ones who are to be coated with that mirror finish so that when people look at our lives, when their eyes are on our lives, they see reflected in us the glory of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and the greatness of the Lord and the grace of God. Oh, Craig, I see that in your life. Then is when God becomes our praise. We can't handle the glory. We're not designed for it. Praise and attention and glory does crazy things to us when we get it. It makes us proud, arrogant, self-centered, makes us think more of our opinions than we should think. God's the only one who can handle glory. He's the glorious one, and so we should turn it back to the one who can handle it best. So we've got to be settled this morning, right now on giving God what he deserves and be who he has created us to be. Glory reflectors. That's how we spend our dash, reflecting the glory of God. If you've got a talent, to God be the glory, great things he has done. If you've got a lot of stuff that God has blessed you with, to God be the glory, great things he has done. If you have a sharp mind and a keen intellect, to God be the glory, great things he has done. If God delivered you from a situation that you were helpless to deliver yourself from, to God be the glory, great things he has done. In all of your life, you and I are to turn the glory back to God because he is our praise. So what are you going to do with the dash? How are you going to fill it in? Are you grabbing? Are you going to fill it in by grabbing glory for yourself or giving it back to the one who is your God, who is your praise? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask now that in all of our lives you would give us the desire to be ones who reflect your glory. As we go about our daily lives, wherever that is, whatever the setting, home, school, marketplace, or that when people turn their eyes on us, they see a reflection of you. How great you've been to us! How good you've been to us! How gracious you have been to us! Or through words of ours that speak of your glory, Father, we live out our lives. I pray that you would help us set aside our own desire to make a mark, to make a name for ourselves. Lord, that's an inclination of our heart because we do love the glory and we do love the praise. But Father, I pray that you'd make us like John the Baptist who said uh, that he must decrease so that you could increase. May that be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, let me me decrease so that you, Lord, can increase in my life and in the view of all of those around, around me. So Father, we pray that your spirit would help us to do these things to be glory reflectors. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.